Chapter Thirty, Part Two of *The Fall of the Tragedy* by Edwin H. Porter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirty, Twelfth Day of the Trial, Part Two. In the first place, they say she was in the house in the forenoon. Well, that may look to you like a very wrong place for her to be in. But it is her home. I suspect you have kind of an impression that it would be a little better for her than it would be out travelling the streets. I don't know where I would want my daughter to be, at home ordinarily, or where it would speak more for her honour and care, and reflect somewhat of credit upon me and her mother, who is my wife, I want to say than to say that she was at home attending to the ordinary vocations of life as a dutiful member of the household as belonging there so i don't think there is any criminal look about that she was at home she is shown to have been upstairs to her room the government says about ten minutes before ten and she must have seen as they claim the dead body of mrs borden as she the defendant went up and down the stairs now let us look at that because that is an important feature in the case, important for the Commonwealth, important for the defendant. You went there and saw the situation. You know how the stairs go up, turning around as you go up, and at the top of the landing, you are right there at Miss Lizzie's door. When you stand at the top of the landing, you cannot see into the guest chamber, you know. It is as if you stood over there where the officer stands, or a little further. You are not looking into the door at all. It is not like a good many houses where you come up at the top and are looking in at both doors at the same time. Then it is said that at a certain point on the staircase, right on one tread of one stair, if you look in under the bed across the floor of the guest chamber, you could see any object that was over between the bed and bureau, and you were all asked to do that by travelling up and travelling down. You remember the experience you had, and looking and therefore they say that although miss lizzie when she was at her door as she undertook to pass down could not see mrs borden over there behind the bed that if she went downstairs she could have seen mrs borden lying there behind the bed and therefore that she must have seen her now if we had marched up and down the stairs and told you nothing of what we wanted you to look at there is not one of you that would have squinted under that bed on that particular tread of the stairs you would not have thought of it but you were going to see if you could see and you were told to look all you could and see if you could see so you got ready to see and made up your minds that you were going to see if there was anything to see you have not been home for the last two weeks and when you get home and after you get over this in two or three weeks from now and i meet you i want you to tell me where you looked when you came downstairs that morning and whether you looked to see what you could see at any particular stair how was it in the last day you were at home did you remember anything about it what time in the morning did you come down at what stair did you look to see what you could see right in your own house when nothing had happened now we are talking of a time with regard to miss lizzie when nothing had happened when everything was all right it was so at that time as to her now people do not go searching and squinting and playing the detective and all that to begin with i do not and if i did i should think i was a rascal some way or other and that something was happening to me if she did that thing if she was looking to see if anybody could see it 
if she walked down and looked under and not said anything about it there goes the murderess see her she didn't see it and she might therefore she is the criminal she did see it because she could and therefore she is the criminal no no you and i until we get to be too old run up and down stairs just as we have a mind to they are our stairs we do not ask anybody's pardon or qualify our act a particle then there is not the slightest evidence that that door was open at that time remember that there is evidence that it was open later but no evidence that it was open before mr borden came in i am right about that and that is very important so that if when miss lizzie was downstairs and went upstairs as she undoubtedly did during that forenoon to her room if she went up and down stairs and the door was closed or nearly closed or stood ajar then of course she could not see she had no occasion to go into that spare room wouldn't go in there as you know about the habits of the family in which she lived the spare room was closed up practically mrs borden had gone there to make the beds and after she had left it all right undoubtedly she would push to the door the door was pushed to at any rate there is no evidence that it was wide open now the government starts out with the idea that the door was standing wide open and therefore that she could see and i have told you how you can reason it very plainly out in your own common experience you wouldn't look if she had been lying right in front of the bed outside why i should have said it would be very improbable that a passer up and down the stairs would not have seen her and yet that it is not impossible you walk along the streets sometimes possibly i do not want to say anything wrong about you and you meet your own wife and don't see her go right along they used to tell a story about professor pierce over at cambridge who didn't know his own wife when he met her and he had spoken to about it so much that finally he thought to make amends he would speak to the first thing he met and that was a cow he said good morning he didn't make any more mistakes people are not looking for everything at every minute especially if they are innocent it is the guilty man that is always looking around to see when there is somebody round going to catch him lay hand on him now do not ask her to do things that nobody else does besides you remember the testimony from dr bowen and mr manning and some others it is not necessary to state them that the upper hall was dark when they went up there and that the guest chamber was dark you remember that in that guest chamber there are these tight board shutters that shut up and you know the new england housewife does not like to have her carpet fade and the more they live in the old style the more careful they are i remember with some reflections about my old mother how she looked after the carpet and the boys and they did not get the light in the boys wanted to live out in the sunlight and they did not want her carpets there and so the natural thing in that room in the borden house was to keep the shutters shut those tight shutters and the doctors say they all of them say that when they went in it was dark and they had to open them so they could see something now you recollect that we tried that on you over there you marched up and down in the first place with the shutters all flung open so that the room was as light as this or more so then we shut the shutters and asked you to go up you know the instance you can see across the street but it is always difficult to look down into a well and see what is at the bottom now they say further as a reason that she is guilty or they claim it 
that mr fleet tells you that lizzie said she saw mrs borden about nine o'clock when she meaning mrs borden was making the bed now taking that as true there is no contradiction of it i am bound to say however in fairness to the defendant that it is possible that mr fleet was mistaken but it is of no great account as the defence looks at this case admit then that for the time being for this discussion to be true i do not say it is but just assume it is see what it comes to then that is miss lizzie said to mr fleet assume that is a fact that as she went downstairs or went upstairs she saw mrs borden making the bed in the spare room well what of it what of it true you say your daughter goes upstairs this morning to her room and she sees her mother in the spare room making the bed well what of it well they say she was upstairs when mrs borden was making the bed that is true but she was upstairs in her own house in her own room at a time when the orderly woman of a house goes to look after the morning work it does not appear one way or the other whether they were in conversation or not and it does not appear whether she went up and downstairs that morning two or three or more times or not why you would naturally infer i should say that it would be the commonest thing in the world for this young woman to pass up and downstairs to her room in the ordinary way of living why not do you suppose that your wives and daughters can tell the number of times they went up and down the stairs six months ago on a given day not at all or even the day before unless they were very careful about something now there is no doubt at all in my mind that she did go up and down stairs mrs borden was making the bed that was before she had been killed of course and while she was there pursuing that work nothing whatever except the passing up and down is what is claimed now grant it all grant that she did go up and down stairs that morning about nine o'clock mrs borden was alive it is not claimed that she killed then at that time but the commonwealth undertakes to tell you without any evidence gentlemen without any evidence that she stayed up there that forenoon practically until her father came in i tell you there is no evidence of it and i will show you that later that she went up and down i do not care to question i should expect it that she stayed up no or that she was there having stayed all the time until her father came no now she told about that note they say and that is evidence of guilt she told about mrs borden having a note now there is considerable interest in that question and i ask your attention to it you know that after the tragedies when miss lizzie was asked about where mrs borden was she told bridget so bridget tells us that mrs borden had a note and had gone out i said who is sick i don't know she had a note this morning it must be in town now that is what bridget said to mrs churchill and she says i said meaning herself i said where is your mother she said i don't know she just had a note to see someone who is sick next question listen to it what did bridget tell about mrs borden having a note and she said mrs borden had a note to go and see someone that was sick and she was dusting the sitting-room and she hurried off and said she didn't tell me where she was going she generally does now that is what bridget told mrs churchill you get the idea both bridget and lizzie had learned from mrs borden that she had had a note mrs borden had told lizzie mrs borden had told bridget 
she had given bridget the work to do washing the windows she says to her i have got a note to go out and see someone that was sick that was when she was dusting in the sitting-room that is when bridget says it was to mrs churchill that was at the first when there was no mistake about it and bridget says she didn't tell me she hurried off no lizzie didn't say anything about her hurrying off nobody says that bridget told it to mrs churchill she hurried off and she mrs borden didn't tell me bridget where she was going she generally does now have you the slightest doubt about that mrs churchill you saw she was called upon three times to tell that and she told it very clearly and i think convincingly now notice the questioning that follows that was what bridget told you yes sir that was not what lizzie told you no sir bridget said mrs borden had a note yes and she hurried off yes sir she was dusting the sitting-room yes sir and bridget says she didn't tell me where she was going she generally does bridget said that yes sir that was not what lizzie said no sir now you have got that right haven't you no doubt about that bridget said that mrs borden had a note to go and see someone who was sick she was dusting in the sitting-room she hurried off she didn't tell me where she was going she generally does now my friend who opened this case for the commonwealth said that lizzie told a lie about that note he used that word i submit that that will hardly stand upon his evidence if he had heard the evidence fully through he would not have uttered that expression because here you have proved that bridget gave the clearest and fullest statement about this matter and you will probably infer from this that lizzie learned from bridget that mrs borden had gone out and she had a note to go because bridget tells it with exact detail and holds it down herself that is not criminal on the part of bridget at all i am only calling your attention to the directness of the testimony at the time right on the very moment now there is not anything in the testimony that really qualifies that at all miss russell says that she heard the talk about the note but she did not know who told it now notice that and bridget was there lizzie there mrs churchill there and miss russell says she heard the talk about the note but she does not know who told it so that you can see that you are uncertain there then miss russell says about the conversation with dr bowen and with lizzie about the note listen to it lizzie do you know anything about the note your mother had and she hesitated and said well no she didn't said dr bowen i had looked in the wastebasket and miss russell said have you looked in your pocket and i think i said well then she must have put it in the fire and lizzie said yes she must have put it in the fire you see that the suggestion of putting it in the fire came from miss russell not from lizzie dr bowen had been searching the wastebasket he had looked around to see if he could find the note he did not succeed he called their attention to it in this way i have stated and they all assent to it and very likely that was true it was not of any account the woman had got the note and had tossed it away very likely threw it in the kitchen stove and burned it but we do not know anything about it but they all seemed satisfied right there on the spot then he said that he had searched for it dr bowen it is miss russell telling it and at any rate she says what she said 
about that was said in the presence of Lizzie, and the same person said she must have burned it. I think I answered that question. That is Miss Russell. Well, now, you get nothing from the officers, merely that Mr. Fleet learned from Miss Lizzie that Mrs. Borden had a note and had gone off. Officer Wilson says the same thing, that she said she had received a note and that she thought she had gone out. That was after the murder, and she said that Mrs. Borden had a note and she thought she had gone out. That is during the forenoon she thought she had gone out. Dr. Dolan says the same thing, so that when you come to consider it, you see that the evidence in regard to the note comes from what was told at the very first. If you believe that Mrs. Borden told both Lizzie and Bridget about the note, it all looks plain. And why should it not? They were all in the family together, and she receives a note to go out, and she did have the note, or else they both tell something that Mrs. Borden told that was not true, and we are not going to believe that. Taking the evidence that comes from the living and that drops from the lips of the dead, you must find that Mrs. Borden did have the note, and that she told the two women about it, and hurried off, as they thought, and did not tell Bridget, or either one of them, where she was going. It was not of any great account, probably. She got a note to go out and see a woman, and did go out, as far as we learn to the contrary. It was a natural and ordinary thing, and the note was thrown away and tossed into the fire. It was not a bank-note to be kept, but a little scrap of paper, probably, indicating what was wanted. Now a person may say, where is the note? Well, we would be very glad to see it, very glad. They looked after it, and they could not find it. The construction of Miss Russell was that she had burned it up. Very likely that was it. They say that nobody has come forward to say that she has sent it. That is very true. You will find men now, perhaps living in this county, who do not know that this trial is going on. They do not know anything about it, don't pay much attention to it. They are about their own business, do not consider it of any consequence. And after a lawsuit, it very often happens in every courtroom that someone will come forward and say, Well, if I had really known that that question was in dispute, I could have told you all about it. Bless his dear heart, why didn't he come out of the cellar so we could see him? Well, sometimes people don't want to have anything to do with it. They don't want to get into the courtroom, even if a life is in danger, women especially. They have a dread of all sorts of things. A note may have been a part of the scheme in regard to Mrs. Borden. It may have got her there through foul means and with a criminal purpose. We don't know anything about it but that a note came there on this evidence you cannot question. That Lizzie lied about it is a wrongful aspersion, born out of the ignorance of the facts as they were to be developed in this case, not with a purpose to wrong her, but misstating the evidence, as we all do, when we do not know quite what is coming, really anticipating something that is not proven. So I say that is not true that Lizzie told a lie about it, if she did, Bridget did the same. I would not say that for a minute. There is nothing to connect Bridget with this transaction. See how quickly you would suspect anybody because you get them under pressure. Now look at it. Suppose that Bridget was suspected of this crime, and Mrs. Churchill came forward and told that Bridget said these words that I read, how quick some people would be to say, Oh, Bridget, she did it. She did it because she told a lie about that note. Do you see it? It is plain. It is a demonstration. 
Now I dismiss it with the remark that nobody thinks that Bridget Sullivan had anything to do with this crime at all. Lizzie does not think so, because she has said so openly. Now she told about her visit out to the barn, they say. She told the officers that she went out to the barn, went out in the yard some twenty or thirty minutes. Now remember that we get this information in regard to the time from the police officers. The others tell us that she said she went to the yard and the barn. It takes Assistant Marshal Fleet here to tell us about the thirty minutes. You see him. You see the set of that moustache and the firmness of those lips and the distinction he wrought in the courtroom telling that story. And there he was, up in this young woman's room in the afternoon, attended with some other officers, plying her with all sorts of questions, in a pretty direct and peremptory way, saying to her, You said thirty minutes, and now you say twenty minutes. Which way will you have it? Is that the way for an officer of the law to deal with a woman in her own house? What would you do with a man, I don't care if he had blue on him, that got into your house, and was talking to your wife or daughter in that way? You would do just what Marshal Hilliard did with Caldwell. Get him out. That is the way to do it. Recollect that this was after the tragedies. This was when the terrible pall was over that house and the neighbourhood, and an officer should be pretty careful. Recollect that the air was full of policemen at that time. They were running all over that house, putting her to every possible strain, asking her in her loneliness, her absence from any friend, her sister gone, following her up in this way, insinuating in that way, and talking to her as if she were a liar. Well, I can tell the truth and behave pretty well, if a man treats me decently, but I want to get him out if he talks to me as a liar to begin with. Now she told about her visit to the barn, and they undertake to tell you that she did not go out to the barn. Now let us see about it. They say that it's another lie. We have got so we know what the small words in the English language mean in the idea of the Commonwealth. We can get rid of three letters pretty quick, but you cannot dispose of the facts. Now, let's see about that. Did she go to the yard or the barn? She told them she did, and they bring it in here and they say she could not have gone to the yard or the barn. Now let us see whether she did or not. If she did not go out to the yard or the barn, then she was there upon her own showing at the time when the murder of her father was committed. You see that. That will end the case if you see it. Now Bridget Sullivan said, I went right over to Dr. Bowen's, and when I came back I asked her, Miss Lizzie, where was you? I says, didn't I leave the screen door hooked? She says, I was out in the backyard and heard a groan and came in, and the screen door was open. I am going to talk about going to the barn, and by and by, talk about the groan. Take them separately. Now she says that she went into the yard, you understand? What did they have in the yard? Pear trees. That is the evidence, and the evidence that in the partially digested contents of the stomachs, pear skins were found. Bridget says Mr. Borden had been out and had brought in a basket of pears, and they had these in abundance. You saw the trees, the neighbours saw the trees, Patrick McGowan saw them, and got in one of them and helped himself. We know that there is no lie about it. This was an August morning, and it appeared that before this time Lizzie had been ironing, had been around the kitchen trying to iron some handkerchiefs. No doubt about that. She had been in and out about her work. She tells us she had been out in the yard. That was true, we will say, upon that statement. Now, Dr. Bowen said, Where have you been? 
her reply was in the barn looking for some irons or iron both can be reasonably true can't they she could not get into the barn unless she went into the yard naturally and that she could stop there by the trees five or ten minutes is perfectly consistent does that look unreasonable do you not see families out in the yard strolling about in your own yards stopping under the trees sitting under the trees especially when they have a right to have a little leisure mrs churchill says i stepped inside the screen door and she was sitting on the second stair at the right of the door i put my right hand on her arm and said oh lizzie i then said where is your father she said in the sitting-room and i said where were you when it happened and she said i went to the barn to get a piece of iron miss russell says she told about going to the barn she says she went to the barn she told us when she came in she saw her father and he was killed did she say anything about why she went to the barn not until i asked her state what you asked her and what she replied i said what did you go to the barn for lizzie and she said i went to get a piece of tin or iron to fix my screen did she refer to any screen in particular or simply my screen my screen now mr fleet told us that she went into the dining-room she said that her father lay down and that she went out into the barn and he brings in the half-hour he is the only one that does and then he goes there and talks to her about it as to whether she means a half-hour or twenty minutes now just listen to this man recollect when this was thursday afternoon recollect he is the same man that said dr bowen was holding the door on him holding the fort think of it and mrs holmes and dr bowen and miss russell tell you and wilson the officer who went with him comes right up here and says there was not the slightest resistance that he knocked at the door and just as soon as dr bowen could ask them if they were ready to have the officers come in and i am sure that was perfectly proper they were admitted without any trouble now this man fleet was troubled and he was a sent for a job he was ferreting out a crime he had a theory he was a detective and so he says you said this morning you were up in the barn for half an hour will you say that now i think the man impertinent i beg your pardon the defendant thinks he was impertinent she said i do not say half an hour i say twenty minutes to half an hour well we will call it twenty minutes then much obliged to him he was ready to call it twenty minutes was he what a favour that was now lizzie has some sense of her own and she says i say from twenty minutes to half an hour sir he had not awed her into silence she still breathed although he was there think about a woman saying something ordering something in the presence of a man who talks that way to her under such circumstances mr harrington states that she said to him that she was there about twenty minutes he asked her whether she would not have heard the opening or closing of the door why not you were but a short distance away and you would have heard the noise if any was made but bridget said she did not hear the screen door shut at all and she said she would not hear it in her room and never heard it when it shut unless somebody slammed it or was careless about it you remember that now you see there is no inference to be drawn from the fact that miss lizzie did not hear it when she was in the barn or in the front yard for that matter and you recollect how the side door stands with reference to the yard 
that when a person is out around the corner under the pear tree or even under the first pear tree that stood from the south door to the barn he cannot see up to that door because of that jog so that if she was even out under that pear tree anybody could have passed in or out that side door without her hearing him much more if she were in the barn either upstairs or downstairs wilson has told us that she said twenty minutes to half an hour he was there with fleet medley says she says she was upstairs in the barn i'm not positive as to the stairs part she was up in the barn now take that is there anything unnatural or improbable in her going to the barn for anything she wanted she was you will say a person who was free to go about and did go about and went in the natural call of things that she was going to do you have heard talk of the party at marion and you know where it is better than i do but i suspect from what has been said about it that it is somewhere near the water and where the fish swim and it would not be strange if a party of women were going there they would try to catch something i mean fish and when they got there they would want something to catch fish with perhaps they do that is the way we bob around for fish up in the country we don't have much to do with sea fish but isn't that common she said she wanted some lead for sinkers she also said she wanted something to fix the screen perhaps she had both things in her mind it is perfectly natural she wanted a piece of tin or iron to fix the screen if she had set out to be this arch-criminal that they claim she would have had it all set down in her mind so that she would tell it every time just the same line for line and dot for dot he had to stay in the courtroom until the other fellow was heard to hold him we had twins here they didn't look alike we kept them here that is mr mullally now you are going to say gentlemen whether you believe mr lubinsky who stands uncontradicted and undisputed or believe another man who is fully contradicted by a man with him who was his own associate in the police court now mr foreman and gentlemen the government knew where mr lubinsky was and that was in the tin shop of mr wilkinson they knew where he was and they knew too that lubinsky's horse was kept at mr gardner's stable on second street corner of rodman and they could have found whether lubinsky had left the stable at eleven o'clock or ten thirty but we have not troubled them to do that mr gardner who owns the stable has told his own story and has he not told you that lubinsky's statement is correct and that he did not leave the stable until after eleven o'clock he testified that that was because other teams were to be hitched up and to go ahead of lubinsky and he was late so that he did not get away until eleven or five minutes past eleven o'clock my friend knowlton in cross-examining him wanted to know whether he told the time on his watch by the long hand or the short hand but that is all right it's good practice but it is no test gardner remembers it and gives it even but lubinsky did not have the watch he told us what time he left and the time he was passing by the yard on second street and then we have mr newhall a man from worcester who happened to be there he comes here and tells you he went along the street and he fixes the time by the hour that he went to the bank and the places where he was that morning and you have these three men that hold it down to the time i refer to that is ten thirty o'clock is it not fair to say mr mullally is mistaken to say the least then if they want to find anything more about it we land mr douglas in this case who was there at the time in fall river 
they knew about it and they could have proved about it and they know it was as we say and yet they did not try to prove it they say a story is true because told all times alike but those of us who have dealings with witnesses in court know that witnesses that tell the truth often have slight variations in their stories and we have learned to suspect the ones that get off their testimony like parrots as if they had learned it by heart honest people are not particular about punctuation and prepositions all the time now did she go to the barn she says she did and her statement is entitled to credit as she gives it on the spot the moment when bridget was upstairs and might know about it did she go to the barn well we find she did find it by independent outside witnesses thanks to somebody who saw her possibly this life of hers is saved by the observation of a passenger in the street there comes along a peddler an ice-cream man known to everybody in fall river he is not a distinguished lawyer or a great minister or a successful doctor he is only an ice-cream peddler but he knows what an oath is and he tells the truth about it and he says he passed down that street that morning and as he passed right along it was at a time when he says he saw a woman not bridget sullivan whom he knew coming along walking slowly around the corner just before she would ascend those side steps now there was no other woman alive in the house except bridget and lizzie at that time he knew it was not bridget by the best instinct because he had sold her ice cream and he knew her he says it was the other woman whom i had never sold ice cream recollect that was lizzie or some stranger in the yard you will say undoubtedly it was lizzie as she comes back from the barn it may be asked why did he look in i say because any one might do so they say lizzie must have looked under the bed i say lubinsky must have looked into the yard he was an enterprising young man he was looking for business because he had sold ice cream there before and therefore he noticed the yard now is that something he remembers to-day and comes up here to tell about or anybody has brought him to tell about nobody will make that insinuation in regard to the defendant was he got to tell it let us see he told it on the eighth of august to the police and they had it all in their possession now that is not a yarn made up for the occasion at all and the only sort of conflict about it is attempted in this way not to dispute it but to admit or say that mr lubinsky is mistaken about a half hour of time mr mulally is one of the knights of the handle you know you know who he is mr mulally mr mulally comes with a book and it is thrown down here on the table with a great display to us for us to pick it up and with something written on it it is not competent evidence and has no business on the table because it might be lost and carried away and it should be but mr mulally says that on the eighth of august he had a talk with mr lubinsky and mr lubinsky told him it was half-past ten o'clock now if mr lubinsky went by that yard at half-past ten he did not see miss lizzie go to the barn is mr mulally mistaken gentlemen as you take your cases in court carefully weighing the evidence would you not say that lubinsky went there at the time he states and that the two others passed along that street and that he saw miss lizzie going into the house if that is true then the commonwealth must take back the charge that she lied about going to the barn she was out of the house at the very time when the slayer murdered mr borden i will stop at this time for a moment chief justice mason 
the jury may withdraw with the officers for a recess of five minutes one other thought as you remember that lubinsky saw manning as he was going down and i think gardner and newhall also and you know when manning got there to the house all about it so that you see it is confirmed again in another way then they have an opportunity to find out by mr wilkinson whether this man was really late that day or not and as they have not told anything to the contrary we will assume that that is proved now the district attorney brought out the fact from mrs bowen that when lizzie sat there in the kitchen her hands were white and she was pale and distressed as you know from other witnesses and i suppose that he is going to argue to you that she was not at all covered with rust and dust that she got in the barn well you will see the strength of that argument and think what it amounts to think whether she could not go up there and look whether she picked up anything there or not nobody knows i don't know how he can tell whether she was fumbling around with dusty iron and lead there is no evidence here about it and i have seen many a young woman and i presume most of them who could walk out into a barn and come back without getting their hands dirty so i will not stop long about that bridget told about the groan and mulally told about the scraping speaking of her statements but there is nothing else whether she said that or not we don't know if she did it was nothing more than the statement that all of us are likely to make when anything happens we imagine that we heard something if it had not happened we should not have heard anything how common is that then there were noises not connected with this tragedy which might actually have been heard there are noises in that street you were there long enough to find out about that such noises are a common occurrence then it may be that the people in their excitement bridget in great excitement because she was running about breathless to find something and mulally in the breathlessness of his search may have got it wrong may not have got it just right it is not a serious matter they may argue it for all it is worth on the part of the commonwealth she thought she heard mrs borden come in they undoubtedly will make something out of that so i want your attention there to see something about that this comes now in the first place from bridget sullivan she is asked after detailing the circumstances to a certain point what happened then you recollect that bridget had told mrs churchill that mrs borden had a note and had gone out hurried off did not tell me where she was going so you see anything from bridget about that note and about mrs borden coming in is all sustained now bridget sullivan says in answer to the question what happened then oh i says lizzie if i knew where mrs whitehead's was i would go and see if mrs borden was there and tell her that mr borden was very sick you see the confirmation about that note business right there right off what should she say that she should go and see mrs whitehead for if mrs borden was there unless she bridget knew that mrs borden had a note and supposed she had gone out as they both did then lizzie said maggie i am almost positive i heard her coming in and won't you go upstairs and see bridget said i am not going upstairs alone now following the testimony down the very next question is before that time that she said that had you been upstairs no sir i have been upstairs after sheets for dr bowen now remember how that occurred 
when dr bowen came he wanted a sheet to cover up the body of mr borden and he called upon bridget and mrs churchill to get one they went into the sitting-room and took the key off the mantel and went up the back stairs where you went unlocked the door to mrs borden's room got the sheets and came down the back so bridget had been up the back stairs to that room but she had not been up the front stairs therefore when they got downstairs with the sheets bridget and mrs churchill knew that mrs borden was not in her own room because they had been up there therefore they knew that she was not in the back of the house and lizzie knew that she was not in the back part of the house because they went up to get the sheets into mrs borden's room see how plain that is when you look at the testimony and it is brought out plainly in the testimony in the questions that are asked by the commonwealth so you see that when lizzie spoke about going upstairs to see if mrs borden was in lizzie meant the front stairs because they all knew the three of them that mrs borden was not in her own room and that if she was anywhere in the house she must be in the front part of the house so lizzie knew that mrs borden had had a note and had gone out and bridget knew that she had had a note and gone out as they both believed that lizzie had seen her up in the room making the beds and finishing up before nine o'clock and she had not seen her since believing that she had gone out and she recalled that she might have heard her come in before her father came back before mr borden did and she said at once go up and see if mrs borden is not up in her room mrs borden is not here i heard a noise as though she came in and she must be upstairs in the front room somewhere go and see now that is natural they thought she was in the upper and back part of the house and there can be no doubt about that because miss russell testifies to the same thing mrs churchill does bridget sullivan does and then after they came down there it was that conversation about going to mrs whitehead's occurred what happened then oh i says lizzie if i knew where mrs whitehead's was i would go and see if mrs borden was there these two women acting in perfect good faith about it relying upon the truth of that note story which mrs borden had told them then bridget would not go up the front stairs because in order to go up the front stairs they must necessarily pass through the room where mr borden's dead body was lying or else they must pass through the dining-room way and go by the corner of the room they went that way and found mrs borden killed mrs churchill and miss russell tell precisely the same thing in substance about going up and finding mrs borden now the suggestion on the part of the commonwealth would be if this evidence was not so clear that lizzie knew that she was up there and if you assume lizzie had killed her then of course it would be quite plain that she knew where she was but if you do not presume the defendant guilty to begin with it shows nothing until she is proved guilty then we have no difficulty with the statement of these three women they define and make it very plain mr borden you will remember came in as i have said about ten forty five o'clock now the inference that mrs borden had come in was the most natural thing in the world hearing some noise in the house perhaps the shutting of a door by and by we shall say something about who might have shut it perhaps the movement of somebody else in that house that she heard she had no occasion to go and look and see she was not called to and her father came in and as mrs borden had not appeared in the sitting-room you understand and as the two women going upstairs found she was not in the back room upstairs they would undoubtedly think if she had come in she was in the front part of the house and then she recalled as she thought she did 
the fact that she had heard a noise which indicated to her mrs borden had come in now i submit to you gentlemen that taking the testimony as it is here and there is no other that i know of it exactly and clearly gives the situation as it was and just as they acted then they said that she showed no feeling when her stepmother was lying dead on the guest-room floor and she laughed on the stairs well bridget said something about opening the door she said she said oh pshaw and she said it in such a way that lizzie laughed standing somewhere at her room door a room where she could not see into the guest chamber and the door of which so far as we know was closed nobody knows anything about it what was there then why she shouldn't laugh oh they say she had murdered her stepmother oh hold on that is not proved yet you might think that everything was all right in your house and somebody chuck a joke on you and you laugh but if the evidence should turn out that your son had fallen dead on the floor above that does not warrant the conclusion that you were laughing when his dead body was lying on the floor because you did not know it they say she knew it well then i should agree if she knew it and was laughing and joking about what bridget said that she should be blamed and we would criticise her and condemn her but they have not any evidence of it they assume it and the district attorney opened it that while the dead body of mrs borden was lying in the guest chamber lizzie laughed well the inference was that she had murdered her and then laughed but that is assuming what they have not proved they say she did not look at her dead father well she had looked at him with horror she had come in from the outside into the back hallway and come into the kitchen and the door stood ajar and she started to go into the sitting-room when this horrible sight met her gaze she had seen her father did they ask her to go and wring her heart over the remains that were mutilated beyond recognition and because she did not rush into the sitting-room and stand over against that mutilated body they say she is guilty why mrs churchill and bridget sullivan and miss russell could not pass through there unless they touched the corner after the body was covered let us ask of other innocent people the same thing that you would ask of lizzie they say that miss lizzie did not show any signs of fear but that dr bowen and mrs sawyer were afraid they told you about it well how do they know she did not show any signs of fear why do they make any such statement as that because she said to bridget you must go get somebody for i can't stay in this house alone look at things in a natural and easy way in a common-sense way assuming her innocence and not assuming her guilt that is the way you will meet these things and all of the facts then they start off on another track and they say she killed her stepmother and her father because that was a house without any comforts in it well gentlemen i hope you all live in a better way than the borden family live so far as having good furniture and conveniences are your houses all warmed with steam do you have carpets on every one of your floors stairs and all do you have pictures and pianos and a library and all conveniences and luxury do you well i congratulate you if you do this is not a downtrodden people there's lots of comfort in our country homes i know something of them but i remember back in my boyhood we did not have gas and running water in every room we were not brought up that way we did not have such things as you saw in the borden house it wasn't in poverty-stricken desolate quarters like a shanty where the folks simply live and breathe and do not eat anything they paraded here the bill of fare for breakfast 
i do not know what they are going to talk about what sort of breakfast the ordinary country people have in the houses they do not live as well as we do in hotels perhaps they live better i do not wish to say a word against the hotel but perhaps a course of fare is as good as the fixed-up notions that we get on the hotel table but at any rate it is the way people live in our towns and cities and no considerable number of people have come to harm andrew borden was a simple man an old-fashioned man he did not dress himself up with jewellery he carried a silver watch he was a plain man of the everyday sort of fifty years ago he was living along in that way his daughters were brought up with him they had become connected with prominent things in fall river for they lived at home they had the things which you saw upon them you will know well enough they were not poorly supplied and were not pinched and were not starved into doing this thing do you think it looked as if they were starved into the crime and pinched into wrong here was a young woman with property of her own starved to death they say pinched so that she could not live fraught up to frenzy and madness so that she would murder her own father for the want of things and yet as it has been shown here worth in her own right of money and personal property from four thousand to five thousand dollars owning also real estate in common with her sister there in fall river what is the use of talking about that did she want any more to live on in comfort do they say she wanted to get her father's property or half of it do they reason that she went and killed the stepmother first so that when the property came by inheritance it would pass to herself and sister they must say something they say she killed her stepmother because of trouble that is one of the arguments about which i will speak by and by but then there is no trouble with the father as they see and then she had a change of purpose or she had a double purpose to kill mrs borden because she did not like her and to kill her father because she liked him but she wanted his money what sort of a compound two motives are running through that argument inconsistent with each other each directed independently to a specific end carried out as to one in the early part of the murder and then she not only changed her dress and cleaned herself and became another woman but found herself inhabited with a distinct motive and then slaughtered her father sometimes when a young man goes on a rig and becomes dissolute and a spendthrift he will do almost anything to retrieve what he calls the misfortune which he has brought upon himself and many an old father has found the grey hairs in his head multiplied because of the waywardness of his boy sometimes these great crimes are committed in that way but if you expect to find in this case that a young woman like her was slaughtering her father when she herself was moral and upright and christian and charitable and devoted to good things in this world you will find something that the books have never recorded and which will be a greater mystery than the murder itself they tell us about the ill feelings well gentlemen i am going to consider that in a very short words because i say to you that the government has made a lamentable failure on that question they say that is the motive that so qualifies the different acts that are testified to here that it puts this defendant in close connection with the murder of mrs borden and then they say that mrs borden being murdered lizzie murdered mr borden for his property or possibly they may say murdered him to conceal her crime for that or some other reason but it does not rest at all on this foundation of family relations let us see what there was in it what have they proved 
they have proved that from five or six years ago lizzie did not call mrs borden mother lizzie is now a woman of thirty-one or thirty-three years old thirty-two when these crimes were committed mrs borden was her stepmother and she was not her own mother it is true that mrs borden came here when lizzie was a little child of two or three years and sometimes we see that where a stepmother has come into a large family and has brought up a family the children know no difference and always call her mother just the same that is true in a very large degree happily so too but sometimes when the children get grown up and when they are told about their mother that died long ago somehow or other there springs up in the mind of the children a yearning or a longing to know of the parent that they really had and how many a man says in speaking of the family from which he came she is not my mother he calls her mother perhaps he introduces her as my mother but the first words after you engage him in conversation are she is not my mother she is my stepmother my mother died long ago she lies buried twenty-five years but she is still my mother i suspect that man never lets into the inner chambers of his heart the feeling that anybody else in the world can stand where his mother did you may gloss over it you may talk about it as much as you will but happy is the man that remembers his mother that pure mother that lived to see him grow up and kind as anybody else may be there never goes out of his heart the feeling for that dead one that is gone that stood first and foremost to him and nursed him in his babyhood it does not require passion or ill-will to hold that feeling begotten in his heart show me the man that does not stand for the reputation and character of his mother for nobody forgets that his own mother was the first one he was interested in although he from a prattling child has never known her to remember her now says mr fleet in his emphatic police manner miss lizzie said to him she is not my mother she is my stepmother perhaps she did we will assume she said it but there is nothing criminal about it or nothing that indicated it or nothing savouring of a murderous purpose is there why martha Channion, a very good-looking little girl that was here a day or two ago stepped on the stand and began to talk about mrs Shannon as her stepmother well i advise the city marshal to put a cordon around that house so that there will not be another murder there right here in your presence she spoke of her stepmother and a good-looking woman came on the stand afterwards and i believe the blood of neither of them has been spilled since why lizzie who undoubtedly speaks in just that positive way when the police asked her about where she was and what she was doing spoke positively there are a good many people living in new england who would do the same they know when they are insulted and are free in expressing their minds and sometimes do so too freely and talk too much but we never think they are going to murder anyone now you have got the whole thing right there in that statement as they call it now they say that mrs gifford told us this it was told on the stand let us have it for all it is worth she is the cloak-maker you remember i do not discredit her don't say mother to me she is a mean good-for-nothing thing i said oh she said i don't have much to do with her i stay in my room most of the time and i said you come down to your meals don't you and she said yes but we don't eat with them if we can help it that is the whole of it that was a year ago last march now my learned friend who opened the case said that mrs gifford would say that she hated her my friend the district attorney who makes the argument will take out that 
will admit she did not say any such thing you heard her story on the stand and that was not so now i agree with you that lizzie a borden is not a saint and saving your presence i have some doubts whether all of you are saints that is to say whether you really never speak hurriedly or impatiently i hope that is so for the peace of our families but i do know good-looking men just as good-looking as you if you will allow me to say it that speak sometimes in their households a little hastily and quickly and sometimes the daughters too and sometimes their fathers and mothers do it is to be regretted that they do but they will yet you don't read of murders in those houses there is nothing to indicate any deep-seated feeling you will hear people speak to each other on the street in such a way that if you thought it really amounted to anything it would shock you now is there anything bad about this case where a woman like this defendant speaks openly and frankly and says right out she is not my mother she is my stepmother she spoke so about the man who was called a portuguese what did she say he is not a portuguese he is a swede in just the same tone of voice that is her way of speaking you will find on this testimony and she speaks right out now these people are not the ones who do the harm in this world the ones who do the harm are like the dog that does not make any noises about it the dog that comes round your heels and barks is not the one that bites it is the one that stays inside and looks serious you will find so it is with individuals it is not the outspoken blunt and hearty that do the injury but now i do not want to trouble myself about that End of chapter 30, part 2